Hi, I'm Peggy, the amputee mommy. And I'm Dave, the bionic blogger. And this is Amped, the podcast for people with limb loss. Hello, Dave. How are you today? I'm good, Peggy. How are you? I'm doing okay. I um, I ended up going to the doctor since our last podcast. Yes. And I do have a concussion. Yes. And I do have actually a fractured orbital lobe socket, which is uh, my eye socket is fractured. So the bad news is your son almost killed you. But the good news is he may have a career in professional baseball. I know. Well, the good news also is that he didn't kill me. So that's a good thing. <laughs> I wasn't meaning to jump over that. I thought I that mean, was a, a, a half an inch either way, and I could have lost my eye. I am very, very lucky. I am dealing with a, a moderate case of the stupids. They're getting better. Um, you know, each day I'm remembering a little bit more, like my kids' names. Um, How do they and, react when you call them by a different name? Yeah, I, so I, for some reason, was convinced that Timmy, who was my youngest, his name was Harold, and I kept calling after him, Harold, Harold, and I was getting really mad that he wasn't paying attention to me, and um, that's when Robbie, who's my oldest, told me that his name isn't Harold, it's Timmy, and then he responded fine. <laughs> it's, it's funny how they actually only respond to their own name. I know, I know, so, oh well, but it's getting better. I'm glad um, you're okay, with Andy. me. Bear with me through this podcast. Um, sure. I think we can do it. And if I start to sound loopy, then, you know, assume that that is your life draft and save the cast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that'll be necessary. We we had a perfectly lucid discussion for the last 10 minutes before jumping on to this, uh, this recording. We did. We did. So I'm confident so, in you. Fing- fingers crossed it'll carry through. So what are we talking about today? So last week, you had the privilege of going to the AOPA Policy Forum, which was when leaders uh, throughout OMP all convene in Washington, D.C. to learn about legislative initiatives and then to take one day and everybody lobbies uh, the, the legislators in their home states. And you went to it again. How, this is how many years have you done this? Oof. So I've been doing these probably since 07 and I think I've missed two. So this would have been the, so I've done nine, I think roughly. Okay. Um, So today we're going to talk about how the policy forum was, what you learned, what the legislative issues that were flagged by AOPA uh, were and how your lobbying efforts went. Yeah. Easy topic. So exciting. Exactly, exactly. So the Policy Forum is an annual event hosted by AOPA. Um, and if you don't remember, AOPA is part of the Alliance. So I, I recommend you go back and listen to our Alphabet Soup podcast to learn more about all of the different players in the OMP Alliance. Um, but it, the Policy Forum, the purpose, again, is to bring OMP industry executives, kind of high rollers and amputees to Capitol Hill all at the same time to focus on key issues affecting prosthetists, orthotists, manufacturers, and patients. Um, It's a two-day event. The first day is education, where they go over the issues. You listen to speakers. If you followed our Twitter feed, then you saw all kinds of really cool speakers up at the podium talking. Um, 
to, to talk about current state of prosthetics and orthotics in the country and where it can and should be. And the second day, with all of the newly found information, everybody goes to Capitol Hill for their meetings. Yep. And you said before, you know, uh, in terms of the people who attend, there are some amputees who also attend this event. Um, there are prosthetists who attend and they bring patients with them. Uh, and they do that at, at their own, meaning not the patient's, the prosthetist's own cost. Uh, because um, as we've talked about many times before, uh, the power of the patient's story, you know, our story as individuals with limb loss, limb difference is really, really important. Um, and it's frankly a more compelling, uh, compelling narrative than just a business person there talking about business issues. Um, and I'm lucky because I get to be able to sort of deal with it from both sides since I wear a prosthesis and I'm also in the industry. But, um, you know, it's it's people who you said high rollers and some of them are, are people who are well known in the industry. But I, I got to tell you, Peggy, most of the people who come there, they're rank and file people. They're just grassroots advocates who own practices or who work for manufacturers. Um, and, and there are many patients there as well. It was great. In fact, I saw several old friends and Amped Army members there. So it was really a great to meet all of them again. Awesome. Awesome. So Dave, you, you were going to be going and meeting with legislators. So I'm assuming that there are different ways that you decided to prepare. If I remember correctly, we did do a podcast about understanding your story and preparing for meetings like this. Did you go back and listen to I that did. at all? I went back, I looked at the show notes. Um, and for those of you who are interested, episode six, very early in our uh, post website era of recording, and um, I did look at that. And there were uh, a number of important things there that even though I sort of should know them in my head, they're not front and center when I'm even going and doing it. And so it was great to go back and get reacquainted with them. The first one was making sure that I understood what the issues were. So Peggy, do you want to walk through quickly what the issues were that AOPA had flagged for discussion? Absolutely. So they flagged three important acts that they wanted everybody to focus on. The first is the Medicare OMP Improvement Act. The second is the Wounded Warrior Workforce Enhancement Act. And the third is the Injured and Amputee Veterans Bill of Rights. Yeah, and we'll talk. <laughs> That's a lot <laughs> That's a, of information. That's a lot of words describing different bills. But we'll, we'll talk is. through what each it of these is. mean in just a few so, minutes. All right. So did you, did you take notes in with you, Dave, well, or how so did you proceed? Here's the thing. Like I, I live, eat and breathe this stuff. I am familiar with all of these pieces of legislation because um, I sit in meetings as a member of the ONP Alliance and I know what our initiatives are. And I will tell you, Peggy, I still can't walk into a meeting and just have it all in my head. I can't do it. And if I did try to do it, it probably wouldn't go that well. So I actually, um, I did a few things to try to um, control the information so that I wouldn't be completely stressed and forget everything that I'm supposed to talk about. The first thing I did was I actually had another person with me. It's actually a small delegation from New York this year. It was only me and one other individual, a prosthetist who's a friend of mine who I've known for years and so named Bill. And so Bill and I decided that we would split up which issues we were going to talk about because certain issues were better for him as a prosthetist to talk about and others were better for me as a member of the Limb Loss Limb Difference community to talk about. So that was one way that we sort of just controlled how we were going to uh, be responsible for 
memorizing or, or knowing certain content. And then the second thing I did was I took out a single sheet of paper, flipped it over on its back because it was just one of the sheets of paper in the packets that we had, flipped it over onto its back. And I wrote out um, the bill numbers and the co-sponsors so that I could just look at that one sheet and know that if I was talking about the Injured and Amputee Veterans Bill of Rights, it's HR 2322 and the sponsor is Representative Wahlberg, I would have that information right in front of me so I wouldn't have to think about it. And I left lots of blank space on the page so that I could just take down notes if there were any to-dos coming out of any of these meetings. Um, and not only is it is it appropriate, but it's almost expected that you go into these meetings with your with your notes and with your cheat sheets, correct? So if people do go into these, that the, when you go into these meetings, you are not expected to to have all of this information, you know, on the tip of your tongue, ready to to put out. It's okay to go in with your notes. Yeah, in fact, I I think that um, the more first of all it's really hard to memorize all of this information. I've said this repeatedly in the past when we've talked about activism, knowing all of this stuff cold and being able to speak to it. If you can do that, um, the risk actually is at some level you come off as pretty slick. Um, it's almost like you're a professional lobbyist. And one of the reasons these Hill days work for rank and file member organizations like AOPA is that you have people who aren't in DC every day getting paid to do this. And so there's something in fact quite genuine just from a perception standpoint about people coming in and having to take out notes and look at them in order to talk through the points. Um, so I, I think far from being a, a handicap when you go in or being perceived as unprepared, it actually, I think for staff, I think they expect it and they understand it. And if you came in and could nail all this off the top of your head, on the one hand, I guess they'd be impressed. But on the other hand, I think there's probably an inference then that you do this a lot. So, you know, you're actually more of a professional uh, lobbyist, that, for lack of a better way to describe you, than you are sort of a normal grassroots individual. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I think that that it adds a little authenticity to this is a topic that I truly care about. And I wrote it down because I don't want to mess anything up. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is you don't get style points in these meetings. The only thing that matters is getting the content to them so that they can then hopefully deliver on whatever it is that you're asking them to do. And so, you know, the, how pretty, how prettily you do it doesn't fundamentally matter. So Dave, can you tell us about the, the three talking points and just briefly what you were lobbying for? Yeah. So um, three pieces of legislation that Peggy mentioned. The first was the Medicare O&P Improvements Act. We actually did do a podcast on this uh, last summer, I believe. Um, and I don't remember the episode number off the top of my head, but there were a few key provisions in the Medicare O&P Improvements Act. The big one, and we actually just recorded a podcast on it, Peggy, um, stripped out of the Medicare O&P Improvements Act and tacked on to the um, the extenders bill that was actually passed and signed into law a few weeks ago when there was a brief government shutdown was the provision regarding prosthetist notes. And that is one part of the Medicare OMP Improvements Act that did get passed into law uh, as a result of uh, just getting grafted onto a new piece of legislation that did get passed. Um, and our ask there was very simple with respect to that specific provision. We asked legislators to either call or to write a letter to Medicare instructing them to tell the Medicare administrative contractors to implement that law. Uh, the law has been passed. 
the Medicare administrative contractors are saying we cannot uh, proceed to uh, follow that law until we're giving implementation implementation guidelines for Medicare. So our ask there was very simple. Ask, go, go to Medicare, ask Medicare to instruct the DME Max to start following the law immediately. Um, there are several other provisions in the Medicare OMP Improvement Act. Um, some of them relating to qualified providers um, and making sure that only licensed or certified practitioners get paid for the care, the prosthetic care they're providing that um, were also important and that we therefore spoke to separately and apart from the prosthetist notes issue, asking them to please support the current versions of the bill that are um, in the House and Senate to make sure that we try to get those carried over the finish line as well. So that was the Medicare OMP Improvements Act. The Wounded Warrior Workforce Enhancement Act is a very simple bill. It basically allocates $10 million over five years uh, for the growth and expansion of either existing or, or new prosthetic schools, schools for uh, O&P professionals to go to to get their degrees so that they can then uh, become ultimately prosthetists and orthotists. And the reason for this is that there's a massive shortfall projected in the number of prosthetists versus the expected patient population. Um, this, uh, and, and this was given to me by an AOPA staffer who actually attended one of the meetings with me and thank God she was there because um, I didn't know the data point nor did my peer, but we were asked the question, how much of a shortfall? And the answer was 60% shortfall by 2025. So we were asking them to wow. support this bill, um, which is called the Wounded Warrior Workforce Enhancement Act specifically because um, there's a substantial veteran population that we want to make sure has access to appropriate care and treatment. And so we asked uh, for the representatives we met with to co-sponsor that bill. And finally, there was the Injured and Amputee Veteran Bill of Rights. Uh, this is um, an interesting bill because it's been kicking around Capitol Hill for a number of years. Uh, we actually got it to the Senate floor, I think in 2014, and it was just too late in the session to get voted on. And all this bill asks is that a bill of rights informing veterans that they have the right to either seek care within the VA or from an external contracted prosthetist who's not within the VA system explicitly to provide their prosthetic care. Um, that's all the bill asks. And um, this is something we've been pushing for for years at NAAOP, uh, the organization that I'm uh, president of, president of the board. And... Just recently, last year, Peggy, actually, the VA has passed a, has put together a proposed rule, which um, comment period just closed in December, and that rule proposes that the VA will have exclusive authority to say where an injured amputee veteran can go for his or her prosthetic care. So, if the VA decides that they want uh, Jane Doe, who's a veteran, to go only to the VA facility for their care and treatment instead of to the outside prosthetist um, who she's gone to previously. They have the authority to do that. And so the Injured and Amputee Veterans Bill of Rights has taken on kind of a new significance in light of that proposed wow. rule. And we were, asking, uh, we were asking legislators to co-sponsor that bill so that veterans would be aware that they have the right to go to an independent prosthetist consistent with how the VA has historically operated. All right. Um, do you feel like you made headways during the meetings? Do you feel like the information was well received? Yeah, I think all these are not particularly controversial asks, uh, most of them, uh, particularly the VA Bill of Rights. I mean, it's a very popular concept. And I think 
the legislators were, or the staffers, we met only with staffers, were very in tune with sort of the logic of that. Um, similarly, the prostitutes notes provision, I will tell you one of the staffers we met with just shook his head in disbelief when we told him that the Medicare administrative contractors, now that the law had been passed, were refusing to follow the law saying we need guidance from Medicare before we can do that. And he just shook his head sort of like, you know, the law is pretty easy to understand. Why wouldn't you just follow it? Um, so, you know, you get these very visceral reactions sometimes from them. And then with other mm-hmm. staffers, like I met with um, Senator Schumer staffer, who's, you know, we, I've got a historical relationship with him. He's fantastic. He's really knowledgeable. But Senator Schumer is the leader of the Democratic caucus in the Senate. You know, he's the major, he's the minority leader and he, therefore he doesn't sponsor bills. Um, he doesn't weigh in the same way that other people do uh, because he has to be thinking about a much bigger picture politically when he makes decisions. And so, you know, you get, uh, I think, a more sort of restrained approach from someone in that position, but that's not a function of what we're talking about. It's a function of the senator's responsibilities. Wow. All right. So can you tell us how your day went? Um, You know, you had the briefing the day before you went, you had your cheat sheets, you met with your, your lobbying buddy, so to speak from New York, you had everything, your talking points set out. So how did your day go? Tell me about it. Well, so the first thing, uh, the morning of, I made sure that when we left for our first meeting, that we left with plenty of extra time to clear security. Sometimes the security lines can be long. Um, What that meant was we ended up at Senator Schumer's office about 15 minutes before we needed to be there. But when that happens, at least you're not, you know, rushing through the halls of of the Senate building, trying to find this office. Um, And anytime you add more stress to the situation and what is already kind of unnatural, thing to do. Uh, you te- you'll perform less well. So getting there early kind of allowed us to get our feet under us and make sure, all right, are we comfortable? We know what we're going to talk about. And yes, we do. We know all of that. Second, um, we let staff know a few minutes before the meeting was actually scheduled to start. We checked in with them, let them know that we were there um, so that we could hopefully um, see the senator or see the, sorry, see the staffers on time at every location we were going to by not being late. Um, And then we were very focused on trying to be very clear and to the point regarding what our asks were. And I will say, Peggy, you know, the first one we went into at Senator Schumer's office, I thought we were a little bit kind of loose around the edges. We were not tight, for lack of a better way to describe it. Our our messaging was not all that clear um, initially. And so after each meeting, Bill and I would would talk to each other and we say, all right, what could we have done better? Where were we, where were we good? Where were we bad? And we tried to improve between each meeting uh, so that we were um, learning from our experience in each room. And then um, finally, I made sure obviously that I had that paper with the key points out in front of me at each meeting. So we'd sit down, I'd pull it out of my bag, open it up, and it was there in front of me so I could refer to it as a crutch as we were talking through these points. Awesome. I think that the debriefing with your lobbying partner after is an invaluable step that a lot of people tend to overlook. It is. And, and, you know, sometimes you'll be on Capitol Hill and you're doing it alone. There may not be another person to speak to, or if you're doing it at your local office, there may not be someone to speak with. But I think it's always really important as soon as you walk out and if you're in DC, when you're in the hallway outside the office, um, or if you're back at your at a home office somewhere in, a, in the state you live in, um, you get back in your car afterwards and just jot down some notes in terms of, you know, what could I have done well? 
what did I do really well and what could I have done better? Uh, because that's how you learn for the next time. This is something that you get better at doing the more you do it. So, and almost just as important as the actual meeting, Dave, is the follow-up afterwards. Can you tell us about what you did to follow up? Sure. So, um, I got the business cards of all the staffers that I didn't already know. Now, some of these people, like my local representative um, in the house, Representative Swazi, I happen to know the staffer that I was meeting with beforehand. In fact, I was very lucky, Peggy. Um, for some reason, it just got left off the scheduling sheet. So um, when I looked at my schedule for the day, Representative Swazi, my rep, wasn't on there. And I was able to call Gita, who's the staffer at Representative Swazi's office, who I've known. Actually, I emailed her and said, hey, I'm in town. Do you have any time for me today? Um, and she said, sure. Can you come by around one o'clock? And I said, absolutely. I'll be there. So, um, you know, I had these personal relationships with some of them. But then, for example, when I went in and met with Gita, I learned she's leaving Representative Swazi's office in a few weeks. So she handed me off to a new staffer named Connor. And I made sure that I'd met him, made sure I got his card and business information. Because every time you go into one of these offices, what you want to do is you want to follow up with the people and you can't follow up with them unless you have their business cards. Their business cards, if you're in DC, are always in the, at the front desk, uh, the reception area. All the staffers cards are out there. And so you, you can pull them right out. If they don't give them to you, you can pull those cards um, as you're leaving the office or even when you first walk in. And that way, you know who the players are. Um, so I got the business cards of the staffers I didn't know. I made sure that if there were staffers I needed to meet who I hadn't met with initially, that I did meet with those people. And then the following day, Peggy, I think this is the most important thing. And it's something that I have seen every expert who talks about how do you go and um, do effective advocacy with legislative staff. You've got to follow up with them. And the way you do that is by sending them a thank you email. Absolutely. Or snail mail. Yeah. Or both. Yeah. Any way to do it, but um, reach back out to them so that you let them know you appreciated them taking time out of their day. These are people who get hundreds, if not thousands of emails a day. Um, they are wall-to-wall meetings. Their entire day is made up of talking to me and then talking to the next guy with his issue and the next woman with her issue after that. So reaching right back out to them and saying, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me about insert the issue you talked about. Um, and then um, what I also did was I acknowledged the kind of pressure that they're operating under. Um, every office I went into just because of the timing this year, they're all dealing with some big budgetary issues right now. And so they said the next two weeks are insane. Nothing is going to get done the next two weeks on anything other than us focusing on these issues. And so I emailed them all and I said, I know you're busy the next two weeks. I don't expect you to do anything with respect to what I talked to you about then. I'm going to follow up with you after that time period is over just to touch base again. And I already got a response back from one of the staffers who said, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Please do follow up with me in two weeks um, because I want to come back to this. I just won't have time to focus on it uh, before then. And it was great, you know, awesome. because it's now you're getting this repetitive um, drumbeat of communication that allows them to remember you and you to remember them. And that's how you develop a relationship. It's lots of small touch points. Sounds great. And the the reaching back, I think, is invaluable. And I think that so many people skip that step. You've got to put it in your calendar. You literally have to put it in your calendar and say, uh, I met Matt in this office and I'm going to follow up with Matt two weeks from the date of this meeting. And those, those to do's are in my tickler file. And, uh, you know, uh, 
basically probably a week from Wednesday, which will be about two weeks after I met with these guys, I will be reaching back out to them saying, hey, hope the last two weeks went well for you. Just following up on HR or Senate bill, insert number, and wanted to see if the, if you, you and or the representative senator had any time to consider this. And is there anything more I can provide you in the meantime to help you make that decision? Perfect. All right, Dave, it sounds like you had a successful AOPA visit, AOPA Policy Forum. It was good. And and the other thing that I should mention, Peggy, and we didn't really talk about it, but if you were following sort of the, the live tweeting I was doing and that, that, Peggy, you were pushing out through AMPT um, on our on our social media account, at AMPTPod, uh, at AMPTPod, sorry, I was going to say .com. That's not right, at AMPTPod. Um, you know, there were some pretty heavy hitters who came in and spoke. Uh, Senator Cardin from Maryland was there. Um, there were um, a few other representatives that came in and spoke. And these people had really interesting perspectives on what's going on in D.C. It's obviously there's a lot going on and it's kind of an era unlike any other. And both Democrats and Republicans who came in and spoke were really, really interesting in their perspectives on, on what's going on. Um, I will tell you, I did ask Senator Cardin a question about healthcare reform and repeal and replace, and um, specifically asked him or expressed my concern about um, things like essential health benefits, pre-existing condition exclusions, somehow being unrolled not through actual repeal and replace legislation going forward, but through administrative or regulatory action, which seems to be the preferred path now, um, given the fact that it's an election year, and I don't think Republicans want to take repeal and replace uh, on directly as they did in 2017. What was the answer? The answer was, now he's a Democrat, obviously, so he's against repeal and replace. And his answer was that he didn't think there was going to be any direct action taken uh, legislatively that... um, and that with respect to the all of the specific issues I raised, he was actually, I think, somewhat nebulous about um, about about what the path forward was. I think it was much more of a sort of we got to wait and see how this all plays out approach as opposed to um, there are specific steps that we can or should be taking at this point in time. Um, so he sort of acknowledged the question, but I wouldn't say I got a direct answer to it. OK, well, at least you brought it up. Hey, I tried. Exactly. That's all that matters. These guys are professionals, you know. They know how to they know how to answer questions that they want to answer, and they know how to not answer the questions that they don't. Yes, they do. So, Dave, can you summarize your trip for us? Sure. So, um, policy forum is an important chance to meet with legislators. If your prosthetist ever asks you if you want to go, I would encourage you to do it. It's a really interesting uh, two days, and it's definitely worth your while. Um, if you are interested in going, and your prosthetist um, hasn't asked you. Um, you should look. Go. You can go to AOPA's website, aopanet.org, and you can see when the next policy forum is in 2019. And guess what? Some prosthetists just don't think about it, and many of them would probably be happy to bring you along. It just hadn't occurred to them. So say, hey, would I be able to tag along with you? Because I'd love to go and, and advocate for the same things you're advocating for. Um, I made sure I understood the key issues before getting onto the Hill. So I I reviewed the packet of materials. I listened to the speakers talking about what those points were. I made sure I left adequate time to get to all of my meetings um, because trying to reduce stress is kind of important when you're doing something that's unnatural. Um, 
I thought about what went well and what could be done better between meetings. It's that whole debrief concept. And then lastly, I followed up promptly with all of the staffers I met to make sure that I'm trying to develop that relationship with them on an ongoing basis. These are my representatives and senators in the state of New York, and I want to have a relationship with those people moving forward. And so that follow-up is critical. Definitely. And I, you know, I encourage people if, if you feel strongly about some of these issues, you didn't have to be at the policy forum to speak out. You have the opportunity to, to contact your legislators at any time. We have the legislator identification tool where you can find their email, their Twitter handle. I used that. Communicate I used it. I used that tool. I was on the Hill and I actually, to prevent myself from being completely addicted to Twitter, I don't have the app on my phone. So I actually access it manually from the web, you know, the web-based version of Twitter on my phone. Okay. And I realized that there isn't really an easy, as I'm typing, as I'm doing a tweet, there's no actual embedded search function that I can use to find the legislator's Twitter handles. And I said, oh no, how am I going to do this? And then I was like, oh, wait a second. We built a whole tool on it. I yes, went, we do. To our tool, I found my, I found Representative Swazi handle and I typed it in. I was like, oh, this is a great tool. I'm glad someone thought of it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anybody can use them and anybody can get involved with these issues. No question. No, I just, that's, that's how I'd like to end this podcast. Yes. And speaking, Peggy, let's just shift gears one second. It's not something we talked about before the podcast. But speaking of getting involved, we want to remind people that there is a fellowship open to people in the Limb Loss, Limb Difference community. If you want to spend 10 weeks in D.C. this summer and get paid to do it and learn about um, advocacy and legislative and regulatory issues affecting the limb loss and disability community specifically and the disability community more generally, you've got to apply for the NAAOP Fellowship. You can do that by visiting NAAOP's website. Um, and um, we have a pod- Which is NAAOP.org. Yep. Thank you, Peggy. And um, the uh, you've only got a few weeks left to do it. The deadline is at the end of this month, I think, right? So- um, Everyone go check it out. Um, We hope a lot of people apply and, uh, you know, it's a great opportunity. And uh, if you, if you want more information about it, you can listen to our podcast on that topic. And it definitely, if, if advocacy and activism and making a real grassroots change is something that you feel passionately about and is a consideration for a future career, definitely apply for this fellowship. This is absolutely an opportunity of a yep, lifetime. And we'll be banging the drum on this for every podcast between now and the deadline and in our weekly newsletters going forward. So uh, don't miss out on it if you're interested. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, Take Peggy. Care. Great talking to you. Bye. Have a good week. <laughs>